What is going on, guys? This is Brendan Burns, and welcome to The Brendan Burns Show. Join me as I interview, dissect, and share the stories of high performers who have created the life that they deserve on their terms. I sit down with speakers, professional athletes, and successful entrepreneurs from all over the world who have chosen to live a life of fulfillment and joy over status and money. In each episode, I share actionable strategies that you can implement in your life, plus inspiration along the way. So come join me for this episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Joining us today is Stu McLaren. Now, Stu helps experts transform their knowledge and influence into recurring revenue by launching, growing, and scaling seven and eight-finger membership sites. In 2008, Stu co-founded the world's most popular membership platform for WordPress. When he sold his interest in October of 2014, it was powering more than 58,000 online communities and membership sites. He then partnered with New York Times bestselling author Michael Hyatt and took his business from high six figures with a lot of stress to high seven figures with low stress. Profitability soared, email list grew from 70K to over 500K, and he gained back over 100 plus days with his family by not having to travel. That led to the coaching and consulting that Stu now does with high profile people all over the world who want the same kind of growth and passive and recurring income without the stress or tension of neglecting the things that matter most. Stu is also an inspirational family man, philanthropist, who launched a registered Canadian charity called World Teacher Aid, which builds schools throughout Kenya that are home to thousands of children. Stu has created amazing online courses, he's well connected, he's genuine, he gives back, he gives a ton of value, and most importantly, is a really ethical and genuine person in this crazy online marketing world that we live in. Stu, welcome to the show. Man, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Oh, absolutely. I've been following you for a while now because when I was going from online course creation to looking for a membership site, I couldn't find a guru out there who like had the membership site on lockdown. And that's when I found you. And then I didn't even realize, but you're boys with Russell Brunson and you're doing charity and you're a family man. So you're the total package. And I was so excited when I got the green light for this episode. Yeah, well, well, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yeah, definitely. Memberships have been, you know, in my blood for quite some time now. And uh, I live each and breathe uh, for helping people launch their memberships. And it's so much fun to see people doing it in all kinds of different markets from photography and calligraphy to fitness and health and, um, you know, uh, to uh, nonprofits who've got membership sites to teachers who've got lesson plans to meal plans to business, you name it, whatever topic there is, uh, we have people in our communities who are launching membership sites. And that's what makes this fun. That's awesome. And I definitely want to talk more about that because I feel like a lot of people say, is, is my niche okay? Or do I need to do something that's more popular and sort of sacrifice their authenticity? But before we get to that and the whole membership site experience of yours, I'd love to go back in time a little bit to where you grew up. What was your background? What, what did you study initially career path before you became this membership site guru? Well, the, the path that I took to getting to where I am was not a straight line by any means. Um, the long story uh, short was that I went to school um, to get my honors business degree, and I did get that. Uh, but during that university experience, I mean, they were basically, it was like a, a corporate executive factory. You know, they were just like programming us to come out of there and go straight into the corporate world and you know, work our way up to becoming uh, C-suite executives. And it, it was this weird moment because, and I, I know the moment specifically because one of my good friends, uh, Braden, was there with me. And um, I had this realization, like I had signed on the dotted line to work for this uh, company, big company up here in Canada, and it was everything that my parents had dreamed. It was great pay. It was great benefits. I had a company car, like everything. Like I would be making more than what they were making combined uh, right out of uh, university. But there was like this instinct inside of me. And I know you probably had this, a similar experience, you know, where like that moment of like what I'm doing is not what I should be doing. And it's like this gut instinct. But the problem was that I didn't know what I should be doing. I only knew what I didn't want to do. Hmm. But one of the things that's really powerful is like, knowing what you don't want to do is actually a very healthy thing to at least help you start taking a step in a direction towards what you do want to do. 
And so that moment was that I had that moment. And I remember turning to my buddy, Braden, and I said, you know what? Like, I'm going to resign from Maple Leaf Foods. That was the, com the company I was going to. Uh, I'm going to resign before I even start. And it, he looked at me and he's like, what are you going to do? And I felt so stupid in that moment because it's like I, I made this like grandiose decision. Like, I'm going to go for this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. And then when he said, like, what are you going to do? I felt like an idiot because I had no clue. And I said, I don't know. And, um, but what I did know was that going down that path, I felt would be a trap for me because I'd get into like a, a rhythm and I'd be making certain money and I'd start to live a certain lifestyle. And it would be very hard to like get out of that once I was in it. So I was like, look, I'm still a, I'm still a university student. I'm used to eating peanut butter and jam sandwiches. <laughs> like I, I could scrape by and get by. And so I did. And ultimately what I ended up doing was I, I was passionate about the subject of creativity because in university, I actually failed out of my first year. And so I failed, um, technically I failed out. I, I mean, I talked my way back in and did some extra assignments uh, during the summer. Mm -hmm. And then, but I barely scraped by second year, but third year, everything changed for me because of a class that um, in the class, they showed this video of this guy named Doug Hall. And Doug is an author uh, of a book called Jumpstart Your Brain. And it's all about like how to think more creatively. And I was drawn to it because in this video here, he's a guy wearing a Hawaiian shirt, shorts, no <laughs> shoes or socks, shooting Nerf guns at corporate CEOs. And I'm like, this is amazing. Like what? You can actually make money doing this? Like this is crazy. Um, and so I read his book and it was, it was incredible. And I applied it to my schoolwork and everything took off. Like my grades went from like bottom of the class to I, when I graduated, I was named most outstanding male, um, had great grades. Like it was just, it was a complete turnaround. So I was passionate about this subject of creativity. I used what I learned from Doug to land jobs, to, you know, win my girlfriend, now a wife over, like <laughs> to improve my grades, like you name it, I was using it everywhere. And so I started sharing that to high school and college students. Well, that led me to um, then realizing like, hey, this is an actual business. Like, let's figure out how to grow this thing, which led me to information marketing and information publishing and realizing that like when I was speaking to schools, um, I didn't have any leverage because the reality was is that I could speak, I could only speak so many times a year. Schools could only afford so much. You multiply the two together and that was basically my ceiling. Like I had, to, if I wanted to break through that, I had to figure out another way to package what it is that I knew um, to, and to be able to sell it. And that led me to um, working alongside a gentleman who ran uh, workshops and seminars that taught how to grow your speaking business. And I learned so much. Like it was just an amazing point in my career of just hardly getting paid anything, but learning so much and developing so many key relationships. And one of those relationships ultimately in 2005, I'm dating myself a little bit, but um, in 2005, when I decided to break out on my own, um, one of those relationships came to me and he said, um, have you ever thought about being an affiliate manager? And I was like, affiliate, what? I'm like, no, like, I don't even know what that is. And he said, look, he said, um, I would love to hire you to be my affiliate manager. He said, you're great with people. You have a knack for being able to train. And he said, and you have a really good head on your shoulders as it relates to marketing. And those are like, you know, that's like the perfect combination for an affiliate manager. And I said, sure. So I leave, I start this company where now I'm like an affiliate manager, had no idea what I was doing, but it worked. And we started like nailing um, his promotions with affiliates. And um, the lights just came on. Huh? <laughs> it's a sign. It's a sign. And, uh, and so long story short, like um, things, things took off because word spread our promotions, we were doing these enormous launches, word spread, and other people are hiring us now for affiliate management, and I started building that company. And then that led to me realizing that uh, I needed to find another business model because mm. with affiliate management, I was basically at the beck and call of all of our clients. So when they were doing big promotions, I was doing big promotions, and their calendar was essentially my calendar. And then when you multiply that across multiple clients, it meant that I was doing big promotions all the time, and that was not a good recipe for uh, long-term health, long-term sanity, and it definitely wasn't a good uh, recipe for you know building 
a long-term relationship with my now wife and ultimately a family. So um, I had to find another way and that led me to um, thinking through how can I share what it is that I know about what we do with marketing promotions and affiliate management and so forth with more people. And ultimately, one of my friends and mentors said, what about a membership site? At the time, I, had, I knew nothing about membership sites. And I was like, yeah, that sounds good. And so I looked at him like, yeah, that'd be perfect. I could just teach and I could share it with multiple people. But this was in 2008. And the technology then was nowhere near what it is today. Right. And it was the most frustrating process because here I am trying to like, you know, I'm in the weeds of it, trying to set up servers and dealing with HT access. And it was like all way above my pay grade. Yeah. And I remember like complaining to a friend of mine. I was just like, dude, like all I want to do is I just want to teach and share the content. Like I just want to teach and sell and share the content. I'm like, right. I don't want to deal with any of this stuff. And he's like, well, what would you like? What would the perfect solution look like? And I was like, it would be like this. It would do this. And I could be able to do that. And blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, why don't we just create it? And I was like, hold up, dude. I'm like, wait, didn't you just hear me say, like, the technology is not my thing. Like, I'm not a developer. Like, there's no way I'd be able to create it. And he's like, I have a great developer that works with me. Why don't we partner and do this together? And we did. And ultimately, that was Wishlist Member. Mm -hmm. And that company took off like crazy. And I, long story short, let go of a lot of my clients uh, on the affiliate management business, doubled down my attention to that. And in a six-year period, uh, before I sold my shares, we grew that thing like crazy where we were powering tens of thousands of different membership sites in all kinds of different markets. And that's where I learned the behind the scenes of what certain membership sites were doing that where they were seeing growth year over year versus the vast majority of everybody else who had either plateaued or weren't growing their membership. And, um, and so I started doubling down on like, okay, what are those few things that those sites that are growing year over year are doing? And I started to see trends. And then I was looking for an opportunity to take what I was learning there and apply it somewhere else. And that's when I partnered with uh, New York Times bestselling author, Michael Hyatt. Yep. And we completely revolutionized his business. And that led to a lot of other people asking like, how did you do this? And then that led to where we are today, which is Tribe. And this is like our signature program where we teach entrepreneurs and thought leaders and experts and speakers and authors, like how to take what it is that you know and deliver it through a membership site that grows year over year over year. And uh, it's been one of the most incredible journeys. I love our tribe. Like our people are, they're, they're like family. And what I live for are the stories of all the markets that they're in and the people and the lives that they're transforming. And, um, and that's what we live and breathe uh, for in our company right now is like, how do we help our people get results easier and faster as it relates to growing their memberships? And so that's, that's kind of the journey and where we're at right now. What a wild story. And for those who haven't checked out Tribe and Stu yet, I'm going to be dropping all of this stuff in the show notes because I've been stalking you and you probably don't remember this, but Stu, when I first connected with you, I got into your uh, free private Facebook group and yep. you had mentioned, hey, the new version of Tribe, your online course is coming out soon. I might be like offering the ability to buy and come watch us film it up in Toronto. And I was like, yo, that sounds dope. Like, can I come? When's it going to be? And you personally <laughs> responded to me. You're like, it's going to be in March. And I was, I just thought that was so cool. And I want to talk about that because you seem to be doing so many amazing things. But also have struck balance with your family. And I want to get to all that. But I just want to shout you out and shout out Tribe. We're going to be sharing all the links to that for sure. And well, I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. And t I only have two things hanging up in my apartment that's not about personal development because I'm very into the life coaching. And I, I mean, business ha has been an amazing journey, but I have two things hanging up in here. One is some Facebook ads funnel that some random guy gave to me that I don't even look at. And the other, which I look at like every day, is it's called the perfect business model, which is your one pager PDF cheat sheet, which I'll yeah. also link in the show notes for listeners. But I just wanted to shout you out that you've been on my wall for about a year now. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so That's that, awesome. Yeah. But let's get back to, I want to go a little bit back in time and just touch up on a few of those things. So um, you mentioned this book, Jumpstart Your Brain, and it obviously had a huge impact on you. What yeah. specifically did you get from that book that was able to make those changes in your life? It taught me the value of an idea 
and it taught me how to create ideas. You know, many times we approach brainstorming and creativity from, as Doug would call, the suck method, which is like, we just try to suck ideas out of our head. And we don't actually like use our brain to generate ideas. And the, the big lesson that I learned was that when we want to come up with creative ideas, ideas that are different and unique and that like uh, serve a purpose, we need to surround ourselves with stimuli. And there are two types of stimuli. Type number one is what's called related sources of stimuli. So as an example, like let's say that I'm, um, I'm wanting to come up with ideas for a new marketing campaign. Well, a related source of stimuli would be to start looking at what other people have done as far as other marketing campaigns and to start looking at like, you know, um, webinars and, you know, uh, email campaigns and like, uh, you know, product launches and just looking at like all different types of promotions and campaigns that would be related sources of stimuli. But then the other thing that he encourages is to look at unrelated sources of stimuli. So like I could look at like these playing cards from Settlers of Catan. I could look at a banana that's on the table. I could look at our uh, car that's outside, like things that have absolutely nothing to do with what you're trying to generate ideas for. Mm. Because once you start incorporating these other unrelated sources of uh, stimuli, your brain starts to try to make connections. And it starts to like collide these things together. And so related sources of stimuli will help you generate a lot of ideas, like volume, lots and lots of ideas. But they may not be necessarily unique or different. Unrelated sources of stimuli will help your brain generate uh, very unique ideas. They just won't be in large volume. And so when you combine the two, this is when you have like those breakthrough ideas that really cut through the clutter and help you stand out. And so, you know, um, that's what it really taught me was it really taught me like how to think creatively so that no matter what problem or challenge that I'm facing, I'm just one idea away from solving that problem or challenge. And so I just asked myself different types of questions. Like, you know, here's an example. My wife and I have a dream of building this uh, beautiful barn on a big piece of land um, that's near trails because I love running on the, the trails. And we want to use the barn to become like a, um, a place where we host our masterminds and our retreats, but also a place to just like have fun and create memories. Like I have a vision of like a half court basketball court in there. And my wife's got like this vision for like, you know, uh, things that she wants to do in there. And so long story short, like we have, we found this perfect piece of land and it's really expensive. Like Brendan, it is like way out of our price range. And then when you add on like the price that it would cost to build the house and the price that it would cost to build the barn, like it's, it's beyond what we uh, can afford. Mm -hmm. But the question isn't like, oh, that's like a nice thing. You know, one day, maybe hopefully, you know, fingers crossed. The questions that I start asking are like, how, like, how could we afford that piece of land. How could we afford to be able to, you know, build that house? How could we afford to be able to build that barn? Because now what happens is your brain goes into solution mode. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's what I learned from the book was how to use your brain to come up with ideas to solve problems that have you stuck. And, um, and that was, it was one of the greatest gifts that I could be given because I know no matter what problem or challenge I'm facing, I'm just one idea away from being able to bust through that and get to the next level. Mm, that's so fascinating. I've never heard it described like that. So thank you for sharing that. I also want to go back in time on two occasions. One, right when you had that cushy job lined up out of your university and you said, I'm out and you're going to do your own thing. That sounded like a pretty substantial risk that you took. But yep. then you also, sounds like you probably had a steady income and some kind of cushy thing set up with the affiliate manager job. And you were like, I'm going to go double down on developing something which, and I'm not a developer. So right. I'm, I'm curious, as you went through both of those processes, what does it mean to you to take risks or maybe take calculated risks? And how does someone make that decision of, I'm going to quit my job and start something, or I'm going to double down on this project because I think it's more appealing? I've had several of these moments, uh, Brendan. Like one is definitely uh, that first moment of deciding not to go down the corporate path and to go down the entrepreneurial path. I think that, to be honest, was probably the least risky move 
because at the time I was young, I hadn't, didn't have any income. I had nothing on the line. And if, you know, I tried the entrepreneurial path and it wasn't working, I could always go back to the corporate world. You know what I mean? Like I always had, I always felt like I had that in my back pocket. So like that, that to me, yeah, it, my parents thought it was a big risk. <laughs> I mean, let's just put the cards where they like. Um, Mom and dad, uh, you know, were very, very nervous for me. And it's because they loved me. Uh, yeah. They still love me. Um, and uh, so, so I understand their hesitation. But in my mind, like, it, it was probably the res- least risky time to make a move like that. Um, the move that you talked about with, you know, the affiliate management business. Yeah, that definitely was. I mean, that was a very profitable business. But at the same time, like I, the writing was on the wall. Like I couldn't continue to run that business in the way that I was running it. If I wanted to have a healthy relationship with my future wife, if I wanted to have a healthy relationship with my future kids, um, I just, there was just no way that I would be able to maintain that pace. And so I was, um, I had enough foresight to see that something needed to change. And Uh, that was a quote risk worth taking. Now I did it. It was a calculated risk in the sense that I was working on that, growing that business in parallel to running my affiliate management business. So it's not like I just quit cold Turkey and then went straight into the uh, software development. I was building the software in parallel. And it was the moment, I remember the moment, it was the second month of sales. The first month of sales, we generated $6,000 with very little marketing. It was all like word of mouth that was, was taking off. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like there's some momentum here. And I could feel it like a gut instinct. Like I could feel it. And then the second month we more than doubled. We went from six to $13,000. And I was like, Oh my goodness. Like I, this is, you know, and I'm like, well, maybe it's just like the first two months. And then the third month we went from 13 to $21,000. And I was like, okay, like this thing has got legs. And I remember it was that third month. I was just like, I'm in now. Like I, I was just committed to going all in and, um, and my wife, you know, I give her a ton of credit because she has been like tremendously supportive, you know, along this journey and has always believed, um, in that gut instinct of making those decisions. And so, yeah, it was a, you know, it was a, it was a big decision because, you know, it was a very profitable affiliate management business. Um, but I believed in the new direction that we were going. I had uh, three months of track record to show like this thing is like taken off. If I just double down my attention on it, like it could, you know, exponentially grow. And, um, and then again, I'm just, I'm really good with worst case scenarios, like worst case scenario, this thing goes belly up. Okay. Well, I just go back to affiliate management. It's like, I, I know that business, like I could find other clients like that, you know, um, I've always got that in my back pocket. And then the similar sort of things happen. Like I, you know, the same thing when I decided to leave, and sell my shares in the software company that we're building, like Wishes Member. Mm-hmm. That was a real important decision. And, and I absolutely dealt with all kinds of self-doubt and, and um, anxiety around that. Like the inner discussions were like, you know, what if Wishes Wonder was a one-hit wonder? What if, you know, you can't repeat your success? What if nobody wants to do business with you anymore because you're no longer associated with Wishlist? You know, are you putting your family at jeopardy? At that point, like I had, you know, I was married with Amy and I have our daughter, Marla, like, so all those thoughts are there. They don't go away, you know? But here's what I have learned about risk is that as entrepreneurs, we have to get used to facing risk and pushing forward anyway. And so one of the things that I do every year is I seek out like situations that put me, uh, that put me in a situation where I feel all kinds of fear, but I move forward anyway. So things like skydiving, things like bungee jumping, things like swimming with sharks, things like racing a, you know, um, a Formula One car, like things that are like, you know, that really push you in terms of like what you're, what you're capable of. Yep. Um, because in those moments, I feel that fear. I feel that fear, but it's like a muscle. Like the more you train that muscle where you feel that fear, but you push forward anyway, the more you realize like, you can do this. And so it's the same in business. Like in those moments, like when I was, when I realized like wish this was not exactly the direction I wanted to go for my career, but, and it's scary to think about like selling that business. It's scary to think about going in another direction. That's fear. And I felt that before. And I'm like, but I've got this, I've done this. I've done this many times. And you've got to keep reminding yourself of that. 
and so you push forward and you, uh, you know, you push forward and you push through that fear. And that's exactly what's happened. Exactly what happened then. Exactly what happened a few years later when um, I decided to, uh, you know, sell my interest in my partnership with Michael Hyatt and pursue what I'm doing now full time in this whole new company. It's the same thing. You feel that fear, but you push forward anyway. And I believe it's a trained muscle. And so that we as entrepreneurs have to actively train that muscle. Um, so in those moments when uh, we feel it in our business, we can trust our instincts and we can move forward anyway. Wow. What a way to put it. And what a way to put yourself outside your comfort zone. I've, I have to say, I've sky, gone skydiving before. Bungee jumping, I haven't pulled the trigger on yet. But I think that's my next move. Yeah. Well, listen, if you're ever, uh, I know you're heading up to Ottawa. It's probably not the, the time of the year uh, to do it. But if you're ever there in the summer, there's, that's where I did my bungee jumping. There's a great spot up there. Oh, wow. Well, I'll definitely look into that. And so I, I want to talk about, you're the membership site guru. We talked about the platform you built for membership sites, but now you're kind of one of the known experts on coaching people through creating a membership site, growing it, retaining people. What has that experience been like for you? And off the cuff, like when someone says, all right, Stu, here I am, Gabby Bernstein comes to you, uh, bestselling author, someone comes to you, what's, what's the immediate advice that you give to that person? Okay, so let's kind of unpack that. So yeah, so I have uh, absolutely, um, developed an expertise for helping people successfully um, concept an idea for membership site, launch it and grow it year over year over year. Yes. Where that has come from has been the in the trenches experience of working with tens of thousands of membership sites across all kinds of different markets. So one of the things that I'm good at is being able to identify and see trends. And then being able to distill that down into actionable lessons that everybody else can take based on those insights. And so that's essentially what happened. You know, I, through the experience of Wishlist member and working with tens of thousands of membership site owners, I saw common trends. I call it like there was two distinct groups of people. There was like the hobbyist and then there was the, the business owner and the hobbyist the membership site was kind of like the side project. It was never treated as like the primary side of the business. Mm. Um, and they would, uh, typically what happened is they would launch and then they'd kind of plateau or their sales would start to, to, to fall off. Whereas the business owner, they had a totally different um, growth curve. You know, they would see their sales spike up and then they'd level off and then they'd spike up again and level off almost like a staircase but they kept growing year over year over year and they did a few things that were completely opposite to what 99 percent of people would do in their membership sites and so that's what i started identifying it's like what are those few things like what are they doing this different and many times they're completely counterintuitive like you would not think that um the strategies that they're using would work, but they did. And that's what was so amazing was because I was working with so many people, I got to see those commonalities. And, um, and what's lit me up now is being able to share this and teach this and see that like, this is not like a one-off scenario where Joe who had a guitar membership was able to grow that, you know, blah, 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 blah. This, doesn't these principles apply no matter what market what industry you're in and to see now like we literally have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of success stories in fact we're launching a podcast coming up because we have so many stories to share that we just don't have the bandwidth to tell all of these stories via video which is the format that we love so we're launching a podcast where you're going to hear literally multiple stories a week like multiple stories a week of people launching membership sites in all kinds of different markets because this stuff works. And that's what lights me up now because I know the future of our business is not dependent on anything special that we do. The future of our business is entirely based on the results that our people are able to get because if they get results, then we have great stories. And when we've got great stories and we share those stories, those stories are the things that are going to fuel future business. And so we're in the story making business and the way, the best stories are stories of people who are getting results from the big wins, like Patty Palmer, who launches a membership site, providing art lessons for art teachers and now has over 5,500 paying members at 30 bucks a month. Those are big wins. Yeah. To Wendy Batten, 
who launched a uh, membership site for uh, furniture or for paint store owners. Like talk about a tiny, tiny niche paint store owners. And you know, she launched a membership site to a small group, tiny audience of less than 600 people and welcomed over 59 of them into her membership site, generating $2,800 a month. Now $2,800 a month may or may not seem like a big deal for some people, but that's a mortgage payment for some people, you know, oh, yeah. and that's where it begins. And so Listen, I celebrate the big wins, the little wins, and everything in between um, evenly because all of it matters because it creates momentum for people. And that's what's most important when it comes to ongoing growth of a membership site. I love that. And it's so obvious your passion for not only teaching this, but also to see the success stories. And I'll mm. be reading random people's blog posts about how they grew their membership site. And I inevitably and invariably just continue to see... I took Stu's tribe course and here's why. And it's their affiliate link to your product. And I'm just like, wow, this guy is all over the place. And you know, one thing that really stood out to me, um, I'm not sure if this was in, there was, I watched a great YouTube where you were, I think in Kenya, somewhere in Africa with Russell Brunson. And you guys were both talking about like what keeps people in the system. And you quoted someone who you, I think heard years ago saying, um, don't contact the people too much and you know hopefully they'll kind of just forget that you're in your system and they'll just keep paying over and over again and you were like heck no you got to do the opposite and i'm curious if you could just kind of talk about that because there's a lot of online marketers out there they underprice their stuff and they're just like oh hopefully the person will just keep paying 10 or 20 bucks a month without noticing well i did a, a podcast episode on this i have a podcast called the marketing your business podcast and um i i forget what episode it was it was like um I forget what number, but it, it, the, the title of it is called The Great Divide. And, and it is, I've done 100 episodes. It is the most downloaded episode of, of all of them. Wow. And the reason is because it talks about the very thing that I was sharing in that video, which is, I believe, I don't believe, this is, it's happening. There's a, div, a great divide happening right now in the marketplace. And the great divide is happening around your commitment, my commitment, all of our commitments to the results that our people are getting. So what's typically happened is that people focus so heavily on the front end of getting people in. And once they're in, they kind of like wash their hands and say, okay, you're on your way. Like, uh, here's, here's the stuff. Go use the stuff and hopefully you get success. That's one approach, and that's the, the majority of the focus that people have had up to this point. But the great divide, the reason it's happening is because there are also those of us who are realizing that's not enough anymore. And if we want to be around long term, we have to have as much of a commitment to the front end, if not more, to the back end. And the back end is a commitment to helping people get results with what it is that you are providing. And it doesn't matter whether you're teaching a course. It doesn't matter whether you are selling a phone. It doesn't matter whether you are uh, selling a product, a service. It doesn't matter. People are buying your stuff to get a result. If they are not getting a result, your stuff is broken. And it's only a matter of time before that reputation circles back. And so similarly, like when you uh, mentioned that there are people, uh, you're seeing our name everywhere talking about like the success that they're having and it, the common connection is tribe. That's the reputation that is, will always keep us in the forefront. Like that's the best marketing asset that we could have, which is not like, oh, the experience was great. That's part of it. But the experience was great. And I got results. Like I got what I was looking for. And so when people have a problem, they want a solution. And if you become known as the person providing and able to get people the solution, they will pay you and they will show up again and again and again. So the great divide is basically a commitment. It's a commitment of the business owner to being as committed to the front end as the back end. And specifically, the back end is all about helping people get results. And you'll see it. You'll see it, Brendan. Like, there are, it is clear as day and night where the people that are committed to helping their clients, their customers, their students, their members get results are the ones that are continuing to see that upswing and will see that long-term success. The others that are not 
are struggling. You'll hear them talk about like, launches don't work anymore. This doesn't work anymore. The market's dead. The market doesn't buy. It's total hogwash. Um, you know, lo our launches have never been bigger. They keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And here's the funny part about it. A huge reason is because some of our, uh, our first launch that we ever did, two of our top 10 JV partners were previous students. Mm -hmm. Our most recent launch, six of our top 10 JV partners were previous students. Mm -hmm. Our next one coming up, April 25th, I guarantee you it'll likely be eight of our top 10 JV partners will be previous students. And that will keep growing and growing and growing. Because if you help people get results, they have a great story to share. And when they share that story, it sells. It does the selling for you. And so that is a, um, that's the great divide. And in that video, I was talking about that. You know, it, there was a client that I was used to work with and I was shocked. My jaw literally hit the floor when we were talking about um, communicating with their members. And his words were, I don't like communicating with my members because when I communicate with my members, it reminds them that they are paying each month for our membership. And so we see, re or we see cancellations go up every time I send an email. And I was like, hold up. Like, that's a perfect example of where the back end is broken. Yes. Like, if people are canceling because you're communicating with them, then obviously you're not doing what it is that they're looking for on the back end. So fix that problem. That's the problem. Not that you're sending communication to people. Like you should be excited to communicate with people. They, look, they should look forward to it. So that's the difference, man. It's the great divide. It's happening right now, whether we realize it or not. And, um, and that's why I'm so passionate about this stuff because once you realize it, you realize like you have a huge advantage over all your competitors. Yes. If you can just help people get results, it's a massive advantage. Yes, absolutely. I love that. It's almost like that episode of Seinfeld where George isn't communicating with his girlfriend because he knows she's trying to break up with him. <laughs> yeah, totally. Ignoring all her calls. It's like, as long as I, she can't get in touch with me, she can't cancel. Yeah, totally. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. It's like, it's, it sounds so like, you know, obvious and such a duh moment, but that's the reality of how people are running their business. And, um, you know, they'll have their wake up call. Their wake up call will come. You know, and that's, that's the inevitable part about it. It's like you either commit to it or um, the market will, uh, you know, the market will realign things for you. Yes. No, I love that. So just as a follow-up question in terms of delivering results, I've also heard you talk a lot about not data dumping a ton of content on people and giving them what they need rather than overwhelming them with hundreds and hundreds of videos that they're realistically not going to watch. So how do you deliver results, which to me implies some form of them act, taking action and watching content and so on without overwhelming them. But, and also what I've seen from my membership site is like by giving people individualized attention that really keeps them engaged and offering free coaching sessions and so on. But realistically, as you get to 500,000, 2000 people, you can't just hop on the phone for free coaching calls all the time. So I get that to some degree having community managers helps, but what have you found to be the best way to balance all of that and deliver the results to keep people involved, especially as you scale? So I'm going to challenge you, Brendan. Yeah. Because um, this is where that creative thinking comes in. So the question is not like, um, the question is really centered around how. How could you provide that individualized experience? How could you provide that individual coaching at scale? That's the seat of the question that, that could open you up to all kinds of new ideas. Mm -hmm. And so it comes back to a lot of what we talked about. But here's, here's the nut, nuts and bolts of it. This is one of those counterintuitive strategies that I identified with those membership site owners that saw growth year over year over year. Mm -hmm. Inside of their membership sites, they didn't necessarily have the most amount of content. They didn't necessarily have the most amount of videos or anything of that nature. In fact, it was almost always the opposite. It was almost always the least amount of content. And what they were focused on was not the volume of content. And this is the thing I want people to write down. It's not the volume of content, but the speed of which people are able to implement the content you provide. So success comes not from the volume of content, but from the speed of which people are able to implement the content you provide. So what that does is it forces you and I to reimagine how we provide our content so that it increases the consumption of that content. Because in theory, 
if the content we're providing is really helping people, then the more people consume, the faster, better results they will get. And so it's all about consumption. So here's a perfect example. Um, I love to read. And typically when I read is when I'm going to bed. So beside the bed is like, you know, on my side is all the books that, you know, I'm reading at, at any one given time. And, and uh, here's the embarrassing part about this story though, Bren. It's like, I will go to bed and I'll start reading. And you know, a typical book is gonna have a chapter of like 20 to 30 pages. And so I'll be lying in bed and I'll be reading that book and I'll be getting like 10 pages in and I start to get like a little bit sleepy. And then I'm like, I'm trying to fight my way because I, you know, the finish line is the chapter and I'm trying to like get through there. Inevitably, I can't get there. Uh, you know, the, uh, I, I'm not gonna be able to finish it. I close the book, I put it beside the bedside. The next night I come back and I grab that same book. And I end up reading the, trying to read the exact same chapter. And it's like Groundhog Day. Like I just can never get through it because like 20 to 30 pages for me at nighttime, is just too much because like I'm sleepy and I'm going to fall asleep. Now contrast that to another book that I read called Rework by Jason uh, Freed and David Hassel. I don't know. I never know how to pronounce his last name, but the, the title is Rework. Now they structured their book a little bit differently rather than let's say, 10 chapters of 20 pages each. They had, um, their chapters were two to three pages each. Mm -hmm. So here's what would happen. I'd go to bed and I'd like, okay, I'm just, I'm gonna read a chapter tonight. So I'd read a chapter and it was like two to three pages. And I, I'd read that chapter, I'm like, dude, I'm the man. I like, I literally just polished off a whole chapter. I'm like, I'm gonna do another one. So I do another one, it's like another two, three pages. I'm like, that's two chapters. And before I know it, like I had read 10, 10 chapters, which is the same amount as like yeah. one chapter, at 20. but like I've read 10 of them. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I was so excited. I was so fired up. I created so much momentum. Why? It's because it was broken down into bite size. And each time I finished a chapter, that was like a little bit of energy, a little bit of momentum that was on my side, which would carry through into the upcoming chapters versus like one chapter that was 20 pages long. It always felt like I was pushing a boulder up a hill. So when you think about like this, what we want to think about is helping people get results with what it is that we're providing by helping them naturally create momentum on their side. Big, long lessons, it completely demoralizes people. Like another example, I, I purchased a course. I was super excited about this course because my business partner and I had just transitioned our business to use a piece of software called Infusionsoft. Yes. And so we bought this $3,000 course. We're super fired up about it because we know like literally like just a few ideas from this course with the volume of sales that we were already doing would, would have a huge impact on our business. Right. So I'm excited. We get into the course. It's 10 modules long. And then within each module, there are 10 to 15 lessons each. So I'm like, okay, no problem. You know, kind of like, let's get into this. So I go into uh, module one, lesson one. Module one, lesson one is 90 minutes long. Oh. I, I was just like, whoa. And so then I look at like all the other lessons in module one alone, and they're all between 60 to 90 minutes long. So like to just get through module number one was going to be a commitment of anywhere between 15 to 20 hours per week. And I was just like, I don't have 15 to 20 hours. Yeah. And now I had already given up before I'd even started. Yeah. And I said, well, um, I'm going to leave that to Tracy, my business partner, and I'll just get the summary from him. And he said, he looked at it and did the same thing. He's like, I'll just leave it to Stu. Yeah. We didn't do anything with that course. Yeah. And, and that's my point is that that does nothing for the people that are trying to consume it. And more importantly, for the business owner, it does nothing for them. Because if people aren't consuming it, they're not getting the value, they're not getting the results, and then you don't have the stories to share. And so it's all about designing the content inside of your membership site to drive consumption and to increase the likelihood that people are going to consume it and get through it and implement it. And so sometimes that means re-engineering the format. Sometimes that means re-engineering the way in which you deliver it, shorter bite-sized chunks. Sometimes that means uh, re-engineering the um, um, coaching that you may provide on top of that. Yeah. Um, it, it, can, it can mean a variety of different things, but um, yeah. The, the secret is not in the volume of content, it's in the speed of uh, which people can implement the content. Yes, guys, this is gold. I'm gonna drop all your links and I wanna do link sharing at the end. But man, this is just, I, I have to say, you obviously have this down to a science with the data to back it up. And, totally. You know, when I first found you, I didn't have a membership site. 
And I don't have a big one, but I have a $50 a month program with coming up on 50 people now. And Dude, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, I'm, my goal, I said, okay, I just want to get to 100 or 500, make a decent couple hundred K a year. But you continue to come out and you're like, guys, let's make a seven figure membership site. And yes. that is my goal on my computer stamped right here. All because I started because of you, I grew because of you, and that, I'm going to take it there because of you. And you absolutely can. You know, like, here's the reality. We're, uh, people are growing seven-figure membership sites in all kinds of different markets. And many times, it's like just a couple subtle shifts in the way that they're thinking, in the way that they're approaching uh, the membership and the marketing that have a huge difference. Like, for example, you know, um, I have, uh, I have a, a mastermind. It's called the Impact Mastermind. And one of the women in that mastermind is a woman named Jennifer Allwood. And so this year, Jennifer came in front of the group at the beginning of the year and she said, okay, like this year, like I really want to scale my membership. And she said, it's taken me three years to get to 700 members at $50 a month. And so she had a decent size, you know, membership at that point. But she's just like, I know that there's, there's so much more room uh, for growth here. And, uh, and I, I just don't, I don't know what to do. So I'm here in front of the group and I'm open to all ideas and I just want to scale this thing this year. And so I said, great. So I was standing up there with her and I looked at her and she's like, no, I'm not doing that. I said, I, I hadn't, I didn't say anything yet. <laughs> she's like, I know what you're going to say and no, I don't want to do that. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And she's like, okay, wait, no, no, no. She's like, I know, no, I'm, I'm open. I'm open. She's like, okay, maybe. Uh, and I said, honestly, I haven't said a word yet, Jennifer. I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, well, I know that you're going to tell me to close the membership. And, um, and I, and I smiled and she's like, okay, I may be open to, to doing that. She's like, but I don't have time to do like a full scale launch. And she went into all these like, you know, limiting beliefs, blah, 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 blah. And I said, look, I said for her, you know, it was what, it was one idea. And that was to close the membership. And the difference between an open and a closed membership is an open membership site is, is open all the time. You can sign up for it at any point. Yes. So people can come today and sign up. People can come tomorrow and sign up. <coughs> a closed membership is different. It's only open at certain times throughout the year. And you might say, Stu, that sounds ridiculous. Like, why would I ever close my membership site? But here's what I can tell you from, again, working with tens of thousands of people in all kinds of different markets. For the vast majority of markets, closing the membership creates tremendous urgency to sign up when it's open. Mm -hmm. And you will gain more members during those limited numbers than you ever would keeping it open all year long. Mm -hmm. It's completely counterintuitive. People are like, that does not make sense. There's no way that I'd be able to gain that amount of members. But let me share with you two real world stories. So Jennifer was, uh, you know, a great example of this. She had, it took her three and a half years to get to 700 members. We walked her through the strategy of closing it. And in her case, she didn't do a big full scale launch. She did a, a number of Facebook lives. She's really good at Facebook lives, has a great relationship with her audience. And she mentioned on the Facebook lives that she was closing her membership at a, on a particular date. And this was absolutely true because her whole reason was she was going to be revamping the membership site. So in her mind, this was a, a temporary thing. She would close it so that it gave her time to be able to revamp it and then she would reopen it. But here's what happened. When she closed it, she welcomed um, more members in that five-day period than she had done in the three-and-a-half-year period. So she welcomed 1,200 new members oh in goodness. five days versus 700 members that had taken her three-and-a-half three years. years. Yeah. And here's the other crazy part is that she did another promotion later on in the year. So she did two promotions this year. Right. Just two. And both promotions in total, she welcomed over 2,500 new members at Ooh. 50 bucks a month wow. uh, in, in this year, in this year alone. And so it completely transformed her business, like completely transformed her business. I mean, you just do the math, like 1,200 new members at 50 bucks a month and, or 20, and then 2,500 uh, at 50 bucks a month. That's a huge, significant growth in her membership, right? Seven figures annually recurring. 
totally, totally. So it completely transformed. And here's the other part about this. Not only from a financial standpoint, but the flip side of this that so many people forget about is that the flip side is that it also gave her more time to be able to be in her membership and actually help her people. Mm. So her members are getting better results because she has more time to be in there because she's not having to worry about promoting and promoting and promoting uh, right. all the time. She does it two times a year. She gains you know, more than, well, I, she gains way more members in those uh, periods than she ever did yeah. in the years that she was doing it in open. So you mentioned Russell Brunson. So Russell is a, is a good friend of mine. I've known Russell since uh, we were business partners way back on a project in 2005. Nice. And um, so I've known him for many, many years. He's a dear friend. He's one of our charity's biggest donors and contributors. And, um, and I was sharing this story with him. And he had a membership site, still does. And it was open. And he would welcome anywhere between seven to eight new members a day at 97 bucks a month. Mm -hmm. I told him about Jennifer and I was just like, dude, if you really want to grow that membership, because that's what he asked me. He's like, how do I grow this? I said, if you really want to grow it, I'm like, close it. And, uh, and I told him Jennifer's story. And, and Russell's like one of those guys. He just, he is already taking action before you've even finished your sentence. Yeah. And uh, so this was like on a, this was on like a, a Thursday or a Friday. And, um, and he's like, well, it's my birthday next week. So he's like, well, I'll just do a birthday celebration and I'll, I'll wrap the promotion around in that. So literally like less than a week later, he closes the membership. And the crazy part is, is that, so if we just do the math, like, um, I, again, I don't know it off the top of my head. I know the, um, hang on, um, calculator here. So eight members a day, let's say eight members a day times 365. So that's just shy of 3000, 2,920 members a year. Okay. Yep. So in this promotion, again, it was a five day promo. He closed the membership. He welcomed over 3,400 new members. Wow. So he, he welcomed more members in five days than he typically would in an entire year. Oh, yeah. yeah. And this is one example of one counterintuitive strategy that can have a humongous impact on a business. So when you talk about like goals of going from 50 to 500 to, you know, thousands, it's absolutely possible. It's just about dialing in those knobs, if you will, to uh, continue on the marketing side, on the, on the content side, on the retention side, et cetera, et cetera. That is wild. And I just have an announcement to make for all my listeners. Master Academy is closed pending further notice. <laughs> <laughs> I visit Stu in Toronto and we nail the strategy down. But no, I really, I really find that to be uh, unbelievable. Look at those case studies, success stories. The other thing I've noticed is like when I used to do big webinars and like 30 people would buy my course at once, right? Mm -hmm. Like they all come in together with this crazy momentum and they're all excited. They're all talking back and forth. There's energy together. there. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So I found that to be really interesting as well. So that's awesome that you highlighted that. Um, let's like start to wrap up a little bit, but I want to end with a final question, which is about finding balance in all of this. So mm. you mentioned your wife several times, you've mentioned children, you mentioned charity. How do you balance seven figure business models and consulting people with seven figure business models with reading those books at the end of the day, going to the gym, spending time with family? It's about making, as Stephen Covey would say, the main thing, the main thing. And so what I realized when I had kids was that I have a limited window where I can speak into their lives on a consistent daily basis. You know, a friend of mine, Jim Shields, he really um, hit me right between the eyes when he said, Stu, essentially, you have 18 summers with your kids. And so wow. every summer that goes by is one, you know, you just start subtracting them. And that really like makes you hyper aware of how little time we actually have with our kids. And so for me, like it's just the highest priority. You know, um, I don't subscribe to the thought process of I need to hustle my face off 24 hours a day. Yeah. What I subscribe to is I have a defined work period. And during those defined hours, yes, I hustle. But I also have a cutoff point because my highest priority is not my work. My highest priority 
are the people that I care for, the people uh, in my life, like my family and my friends and my, you know, my kids, my wife, et cetera. And so for me, it's just about creating rules. And as entrepreneurs, like it's so easy to just let these you know, rules slip and let these rules slide where we do end up working long days, long hours. But when you've got rules, you just got to subscribe to them. So for me, like we're doing this um, interview and it's before four o'clock. There's a reason for that because I don't do any interviews or any work after four o'clock because when I, when four o'clock hits, I'm home with my kids. Like that's my time with the kids. Like that's, I'm wrestling with them. I'm playing with them. We're reading with them. We're playing cards with them. We're going for walks with them. We're swimming with them. We're doing all kinds of stuff with them. That's the quality time. And the quality time comes on a consistent basis. Um, you know, and so for me, yeah, I, I just have rules. And like, you, I think as entrepreneurs, we've got to create rules for ourselves to keep the main thing, the main thing. Otherwise we're just not work. is just like a, it can be like a drug, you know, you know, as entrepreneurs, like we love what we do. And, and so when we love what we do, and if we don't give ourselves any boundaries, we'll just keep doing it, you know? And, um, and what can happen is that it can take us away from the very things or the very reasons why we are quote doing this in the first place. And so that's why like that Stephen Covey quote is like, we got to make the main thing, the main thing um, is so important. And so if that is the, the, the case, if that is the main thing, then how do you keep it the main thing? And again, it comes back to that how question. How do you keep it the main thing? Now your brain starts looking for solutions. Now your brain starts trying to figure out like, okay, how do we keep this a high priority? And it goes into solution mode. And that's exactly what I did. So for me, I have clear boundaries. My day ends at four. Um, and um, when it comes to travel, like I travel once a month where I'm away from the kids, a maximum of once a month where I'm away from the kids for more than four days. If anything does come up, that requires me to be away more than once, then the kids and Amy come with me. Like that's just kind of the rule of thumb because I don't want to be away from my kids because that is the, the most important time uh, right now. So it's just about creating rules as entrepreneurs. It's just about creating rules for yourself um, so that you play the game that you want to play and not playing somebody else's game. Mm. And a theme that I've been seeing in this interview is we're talking about doing things that are very counterintuitive that actually get you the best results. Totally. You know, you know, we're talking about closing the membership site, you get more members. We're talking about working less, you're an example of seven figure. I don't know how much you're worth, but you're crushing it. And you're, you're stopping work at 4 p.m. Yes, it's, it's about working, working less and making more. Like, it's totally it. And, and here's the thing is that we often think that, um, you know, in the case of working less, we often think, well, wait a minute, if I, if I don't work as much, then I'm not going to make as, you know, as much money. No, that's not the case. Because there are, like, Case in point, I grew up in a very loving, amazing household. I have two amazing parents, but they worked all the time. Like they're two blue collar workers and nobody worked more than my parents, but they yet weren't the most financially successful. So what gives? It's not about the amount of time that you know, people work because there are people that work way less than my parents and made way more money than my parents. So that for me was a moment when I realized like those two things don't correlate. Working more does not correlate with making more. So there's, there's something there that is creating leverage, is creating better results. And so whatever that is, that's what I want to, that's what I want to figure out. And so in the beginning, I just, I, I just believe in creating boundaries and rules for yourself as an entrepreneur. And then when you have those rules, those rules are designed to keep the main thing, the main thing. Um, and when that's the case, then your brain and uh, your body and everything goes into using the time that you do have to its fullest advantage and getting the most out of it and squeezing the most juice out of that and then being able to enjoy everything else, the other parts of life. You know, and my wife and I subscribe to this, uh, whether it's on a daily basis or an annual basis, like we, for our goal setting, it's the same thing. We start with our big rocks as a family. And what are the things that we want to do as a family? Those go on the calendar first, then the charity, then the business. So it's always starts with the family first. And that could be like family vacations. That could be like, you know, couple getaways. It could be all that kind of stuff, but keep the main thing, the main thing, create rules around it. And then everything else will follow. That is so well said. And Stu, I just want to thank you big time for coming on the show. Uh, let's take a minute to just share like where people can find you. And I'd love to hear a little bit more detail about your specific products and offerings and masterminds and everything. Cause we have a lot of different people out there who are probably interested in all of the above. Yeah. Well, the best place to find me is on the marketing your business podcast. So, uh, if you subscribe to podcasts, just search marketing your business and stew, and you will see it. We publish episodes uh, multiple times a week 
and they're short, they're punchy, and it's all the behind the scenes of what we're doing to grow our business. So if you're looking and love marketing and you want to learn how to grow your business, there couldn't be a better podcast. Marketingyourbusiness.com is where you can go to find out more. Um, and then as far as tribe goes, that's essentially where I would recommend everybody go. It's the entry point. That is the best place to learn how to launch, grow, and scale a membership. And we are serving people in all kinds of different markets. This stuff works and we live for the results that our people get. And so come and join us. We have our workshop. Our next free workshop starts in April. April 25th is the date that you want to mark down and go to tribeworkshop.com for more details. Awesome. I'm going to be putting that. I'm opting into everything right now and I'm going to be dropping that in the show notes uh, for, for all the listeners. Stu, a huge thank you again. And if we could just leave listeners with one takeaway, what would you like them to go home with today? I would like them to just realize that at the end of the day, getting to where we want to get to is not a straight path. Mm. You're going to take all kinds of zigs and zags, but you're never going to create any momentum if you are just sitting still trying to think your way to success. You've got at some point to do something. Take a step. And my recommendation is even if you don't know exactly what you want to do, take a step in a direction because each step that you take will give you a little bit more clarity about where you ultimately want to be and what you ultimately want to be doing. And so my advice is don't sit still. Keep moving forward and take a step in a direction. And uh, one thing will lead to another, my friends. That is amazing advice. Stu McLaren, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you.